Jen. And I'm Carrie. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This is episode number 82, and our book is the third and final book in the Araman Omnibus, Araman Unchanged. We posted several questions on our website, wh40kbookclub.com, and we encourage participation in our conversations via Twitter, YouTube, our site, or Encrypted Vox channel. Spoiler warning. If you haven't yet read the book, if you haven't read yet read the book, go definitely check it out and then come back to this post as we'll be talking about it from start to finish in great detail. Spoiler alert, he doesn't fix the rubrique. Anyways, <laughs> with that, let's dive in. Carrie, did you like this book? Hmm. No, sir. I didn't like it. No, sir, me either. That's not really a surprise, though, is it? Um, Should be surprising for me. Yeah, so here's the thing about these books. Like, I kind of went into this one after the... I went in cautiously optimistic to book one. I enjoyed book one. Number two, I was like, okay, maybe this one will be a little bit better. It was not. So I did not go into this book with great hope. But... I was like, okay, look, Carrie enjoyed the first one. I think she kind of enjoyed the second one. Like, I hope that this book, because when you look at the reviews for this book, the ratings for it, so on Goodreads, it's about the same as the other books. But like on Amazon and on Google, it's way higher than the other books. So I was like, oh, okay, good. Maybe this will be well, like Carrie's going to love this book and it's going to make it all worth it. a little upset when you were like I didn't like it I was like damn it because this book was an exercise in futility I mean um, you know and you kind of like summed it up best I think in our chat discussion um, this afternoon when you said you know maybe it's not totally John French's fault because you know how, how hard it, I mean it's pretty hard to make a guy's story interesting when he really can't move forward and like, you know, you got a point there, but at the same time, no, you don't. Because Rachel Harrison wrote a better Ariman story, and I hated that book. It was just a better Thousand Sons story. Because she, because that one guy trying to bring back his brother, like, that little, and I mean, okay, so you said that today, and I was like, God, I was trying to think about to mark a faith, how long was that intersect like that interaction that they have there? Maybe 10, 15 pages? I mean, it's like a short story's worth of content once you finally meet the Thousand Sun Sorcerer, finally learn what he's doing, finally learn what the whole bag is. Like, yeah. And I would actually argue too that, because then that got me thinking, and I was like, Aramin makes very brief cameos through memories in the Black Legion books. And. Those are those are better art, like more compelling Thousand Suns stories. You can make them compelling. And I say that as a person who does not like the Thousand Suns. You can make them compelling. Mm-hmm. And Mark of Faith, and we'll talk more about this here later, but Mark of Faith touched on the one thing with the Thousand Suns I really do dig. And again, handled it better. Yeah, I just... I. And you know... I w- we I, talked so much smack about Fabulous Bill, but I I Reynolds. I continued to get frustrated with this book the more and more that I read it. And then when honestly, you know what? The way that the first book was going, I had no idea that where this whole thing was going to go was that Armin's gonna be like, I can fix my mess well that's boring you know why it's boring because we already know that you don't and you can't because we already know that you can't you know you know i went and saw the movie titanic knowing what was going to happen because i know history and it drives me crazy everyone's like i didn't see the boat sinking well then you're an idiot it's like when my sister called me about the alamo the movie the alamo she's like did you know they all died i was like yeah because i paid attention in texas history it's the same thing here. Like, I already know that he's not going to be able to fix it. That's boring. But again, the Titanic, we know that the ship's going to sink, and they still found a way to make a really good, compelling story out of it. Well, let's not get too carried away with the cheese whiz. 
Um, uh, but no, you're, better than this. You're... Well, I mean, I mean, shit. No, Titanic is nowhere near like my favorite movie. It's one of those movies like I'm glad I saw it. I thought it was very good, and I've moved on with my life. Like I haven't ever really seen it again. You know, kind of like Saving Private Ryan. I enjoyed it. I'm glad that I saw it. I'm never going to watch that movie again. Right. Um, and again, that's also one of those where you know the story's how it's going to end. It's not going to end well, but they still found a way to make it compelling. And I'm sorry, John French. None well, of this was compelling. The, and you know, I think you just hit on something actually very interesting there. Because with Titanic, the point of the story. So I want you to imagine for a second, this book would be as if the movie Titanic circus circulated around that dude who designed the ship and the captain if it was their stories about how that dude designed an unsinkable ship that dude designed a ship that would never sink no nothing ever bad's gonna happen and they the entire movie they sit around going ha thank god we're on a ship that's never going to sink like it, it's that like again the titanic <laughs> itself was the backdrop to a romance between Jack and Rose. That was, but it was set during that so that there would be an instant tragedy. And anyways, right, right. like movies that deal Alamo, actually the Alamo movie kind of fell into that same plot where it was like, we're going to tell you the stories of all of the dudes who are there and why they're there and what they're doing and what's going on and kind of the geopolitical situation around the Alamo. Because a lot of people, I feel like the average person is like conceptually aware that, oh yeah, there's a place called the Alamo. All these guys went to defend it. Uh, a bunch of people died. It was part of a war and uh, there's stuff hidden in the basement. So. Stuff in the basement. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's pretty much what everybody knows about the Alamo. Pee-wee's bike is Hon there. Honestly, I'm willing to bet that of a certain generation, the only reason you're probably passingly familiar with, like, the events of the Alamo is because of Pee Wee Herman. Um, so, like, okay, so that was, like, more of an informative movie, right? But this is, like, unfortunately, and I, 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 I've mentioned this, I think, at the beginning of each one of these books that we've read, is that what is Armin's bag? Armin's bag is, I want to fix the rubriquet, I want to find the Black Library. That's, that's it. And this was a real opportunity. And I know but that he never even like gets around to the Black Library. You know what? I would have found a story of him trying to find the Black Library so we can do research on fixing the Rubicay. So much more interesting than this. Ten times. You know, the things that he would do to try to find the Black Library, I would find that so much more interesting than this. Absolutely. And um, I, we gave so much crap about Fabulous Bill. But this is the thing I wanted to say about Fabulous Bill is that like, look... Whether you liked the story or you found it compelling or not, because look, I'm going to go ahead and mention that, yes, the core complaint with the Fabulous Bill books is still is still valid, that that is not the same character that we saw in the Horus Heresy and it is not the same character we've seen elsewhere. Josh Reynolds definitely went off in his own tangent mm -hmm. about Fabulous Bill. However, those books books are all about his experiments and he and josh reynolds went ahead and like peppered some interesting ideas in there right like his new men he's peppering them throughout the friggin galaxy there's that planet where that uh the governor and his wife are his new men right which i actually started giggling this afternoon thinking about this because then i imagined like that planet all of a sudden has some badass guardsmen like what what do you mean they ran 35 miles in like two hours what um <laughs> Like, but he managed to find something while maintaining the core of Fabulous's Bill, Fabulous's Bill shtick, which is he's an experiment and a scientist. He managed to make him a compelling character and find stories that were not. Now, he changed the character way too much again, but find stories that were not just, he's an evil scientist. Um, I think John French really had an awesome opportunity here. Yeah, maybe it's him discovering, like, why, why does he think the Black Library has the answers? How does he even know about the Black Library? Right. Like, he has all of these opportunities to, like, go down something else, but he decided to just... I, I think everybody in here probably knows, I think I've mentioned before, that Far Cry 3 is one of my favorite games I ever played, and all I could think of was Voss. Have I ever told you the definition of insanity? 
And especially there's a part of that speech where he's just like, this time things are going to be different. No, 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 please. This time it's going to be different. And that's what this book felt like from both a meta commentary and an actual story commentary. I was like, I told you he's like the fly trying to get out the closed window. This time I can. This time I can. No, maybe this time I can get through there. Yeah. I mean, it's... Is this a door? No. Is this a door? No. Is this a door? No. Is this a door? And, you know, so you actually brought up another really interesting point with, like, the Alamo and that the movie actually really focused on, you know, the, um, the actors in there. And, you know, he tried to do that here with he Ignis and Tesius and, um, gosh, even the Athenaeum, which, please, um, you know, and Astraeus and everything else. He really tried, but he couldn't even, the, none of that was even that interesting. The only thing to me that was interesting about any of the side characters was Ignis's really weird relationship with Credence, which just kind of cracked me up most of the time. And I got really sad when Credence died. But yeah, uh, yeah. No, it's uh, let's let's dive in, shall we? First and foremost, what part stood out to you? Because I do believe in getting that out at the top of the hour. Um, the last page of the last chapter, not the epilogue, but the last page of the last chapter, and that is when. His rubriquet, Helio Isidorus, remembered his name. I was like, okay, that is sweet, very cute. And that kind of touched me because kind of reminded me of in, um, I think it was in uh, Black Legion, when um, Iskander's rubriquet were killed and they called out to him before they died. You know, just kind of that's like, oh God, so like there is like something left to them. And there were moments in the book that, um, you know, had a lot of, I thought, nice little insights into the problems with Thousand Sons and really the problems with, with Ariman. <sighs> you know, a lot of good insights into that. Well, but then, before you move but on then to for that. Like, but for, for, for what? Mm-hmm. Before you move on that, though, I want to, because I agree with you. I loved, though, I liked a lot of the stuff with the Rubiquet. And this was probably the most interesting thing. And as I mentioned kind of earlier at the top of the hour, the, um, that was one of the reasons I really liked that scene with Rachel Harrison was that when she says, what were, when she says, when that sorcerer, when it's revealed that the whole reason he's basically trying to destroy the known universe um, is because he just wants to hear his friend's voice again. He just, and that's the part that makes it so sad because it's very easy to forget that these people, they were people. Like, they were human beings. They were friends of some of the Legionnaires that still exist. We got to see it a lot with Iskander, as you said, when his two rubriquet call out his name, mm -hmm. right? Um, the scene that I like is very similar to one that you liked, and it's that scene when it's Ignis and Gamata talking, and they're like, oh, like, um, oh, you can't say their names because their names kind of pull at them a little bit. And then there's that scene when Ignis looks down and all of the rubriquet are looking up at him and he's like, oh geez. The thing that I liked the most about it was that, and he's kind of, and John French has kind of touched on this in the other two books too, but it's this idea that even they don't really understand what happened to the rubriquet. Like they think they do, they're definitely shells, right? Mm -hmm. There's nothing really there. But there's the potential for something there. And maybe, and, and that's one of the concepts that I really like within the Warhammer 40K universe too, the idea that names have power. Right. It's one of those things where I'm like, ooh, he, the Black Library, I feel like, keeps teasing. They just keep teasing at the cons, the possibility that maybe, maybe there is something to what Armin wants to do. Like, maybe these guys can be fixed. Maybe... Maybe the Thousand Sons don't really understand what they did, which I know what you're thinking. The number of times they've gotten screwed over by warp sorcery nonsense. Well, and the thing is, like, it's suggested that it's possible that they could, but Magnus is like, but then it's going to break me. Well, hun, 
you're in the planet of sorcerers and you can't find your pieces all over the place and by the way i hate you mean his horcruxes that's exactly what i thought drove me crazy i actually hate that trope not even before oh my god before before harry potter you know had it at least harry potter made something interesting out of it something but this whole thing is like, well, you know, pieces of me got scattered and I'm not sure where they are. Oh, just just stop. Just stop. This is not an episode of Inuyasha where we have the, the crystal shard that is broken to a bazillion pieces. We have to go put it all together. Like, no. Like, yes, there is a whole thing about that statue that broke in front of you, but it broke into the nine pieces. So don't even. And that was how your first were got locked on by Zinch. So don't even try to say that, oh, we actually we got broken to all these different pieces. And a part of me is with that. No. No, stop no. making up stuff to try to make this more interesting because it's not working. And all it's actually doing is making this worse. This whole thing. I mean, oh, my God, you're like set on fire now. Like the whole thing with the labyrinth, the the different places where he can possibly be. You know what? This is the type of bullshit that made me hate when the X-Men went into the astral plane because they're, and maybe part of it is because there's no rules so they can do whatever they want, but it's because there are no rules and they do whatever they want is why the plot breaks. All you do I is- I mean, let's, let's be real. There's multiple reasons that the X-Men break. Um, but no, but it, but when you put yourself in this like astral plane where there's no rules and anything can go here, all you do is create more plot holes. It's like why I can't stand alternate dimensions and universe thing. All you do to fix a plot hole by adding in an alternate universe is make bigger plot holes that have to be filled now with other I mean, alternate dimensions, which just make bigger plot holes. I have been saying this since Bioshock, actually since before this, but Bioshock Infinite in particular if in the process of writing your story, you need an alternate timeline, time travel, or an alternate dimension to solve a problem, stop. Go back. You, you're, you have gone down the wrong path. You need to go back. Then it's not a good story. You know, no, you took a left at Albuquerque. You like, need to go back. Like Astraeus. And I liked Astraeus' story until I found out he got put into a time loop. I'm like, I'm, I'm done. And that's yeah. probably a lot of reasons why that I hated the Peter Fehavari book so much is that I don't like the time loop bullshit. I know some yeah. people do. That's great. You love the time stuff. Awesome. It's not for me. And all it does is personally make me angry. Just and look, to I, me, think it, I think it is important. Actually, to I'm not going to say what I was going to say. So continue. Mm. No, I'm not going to say it. Well, what I was going to say is that I think it's important to note right here that this doesn't like this comes from you and I being very it, I know we mentioned this before, but you and I are very long term comic readers. We the, the DCs and the Marvels, you know, with my time travel um, and my <laughs> alternate dimensions like you and, and I six one six down this. Huh? And Earth 616 or DCs Earth 1 and Earth 2. Put that evil on me. Um, I need more. Tea. No, like that's. <laughs> But it's a thing, like, and I think that's why it's so particularly triggering to both of us. Um, and I, I, we even said this in that Robbie McNiven, uh, the, the Last Hunt. You remember in the end, yeah. when they kind of get into the webway, and then they're like, oh, we're kind of time traveling. I was like, ah, go one back, thing, except go that back. One thing I'll say about that one is that at least that was a finite closed loop, and it made sense. The, it did. The entire story did not predicate on this one little incident happening versus that's true all of this like the more that we decided that we're going to weave out all these different places in the warp where magnus and ariman's consciousness can be miss mm -hmm. me with that and and uh, you can tell me all you want but that's just a thousand suns that's how they've always worked no that is not how they've always worked that you go back and read um a thousand suns that is not that is not how they always worked they're no. doing it now because they've been banished into this area in the warp called the planet of sorcerers and now basically games workshop is like it's everyone's astral plane field day and fine whatever maybe my whole thing with being a thousand suns apologist which i did laugh when i pulled up my 
our little uh, splash at the bottom and I saw that really that probably goes back to the Horus heresy because honestly the way that they depict the thousand sons at least the way that John French in particular depicts the thousand sons in this I can't no I, I I can't do it like we talked about that's not the fabulous bill from the Horus heresy this is not the Ariman from the Horus heresy either um they made and maybe that's you know part of it like I did like it when the um inquisitor you know you know told Ariman or even told Magnus like it's funny that you're doing the same things that your dad did and now Ariman's doing the same things that you did like don't you see how funny this is I was like well yes sister you got a point that's always been the point always been ever since the Horus heresy but you can't keep hammering this home forever it gets no. old it shows that you've made you know what you've now done you've now made Ariman be a flat boring character because you become flat yes. and boring when you don't learn and you don't change and you don't grow I think if that for this trilogy to have been really good Yes, we can start it from from his exile because I really liked how that started where he's a beaten, broken person because I can, I mean, I, I read A Thousand Sons. They get pouty like that when he's, you know, beaten and broken. And if he wants to, like, figure out a way to, like, fix things or get back in Magnus's good graces or whatever the hell he's trying to do, then we could have made this, like, a big search. Search for answers. Search for the Black Library. Not, we're going to fix the Rubicay. We already know that can't happen. We already know. And that's, you know what, you know, I feel the same way about that, that I do with like any long running series. And Harry Potter was somewhat guilty of this. Um, the Marvel movies are certainly guilty of this, right? Where it's like, oh, named character is in great peril. Named character might die. Oh my God, they're going to kill named character. Just kidding. It's named character plot armor. Like, you, I, I hate when books and stories do that type of thing, when they're just like, thing that you know can't happen, <gasps> it's gonna happen! No, it's not. It's not gonna happen. Like, and I yeah, am- Like, okay, like Batman be, and Catwoman getting married? Too goddamn soon. <laughs> Throw something across the- <laughs> Way harsh, Ty. Anyways. Um- we even I, I'm to, to to be fair, like isn't like to be to level out fair criticism here. We even kind of said that with about Guy Haley with uh, Dark Imperium, like they it's all leading up to the big battle between Mortarian and Raboot Gulliman. But we know that they can't win. kill one another. They can't kill one another. So like we kind of knew going in, and but that's another good example of we know that some Deus Ex Machina is going to happen and save one of. <laughs> What we didn't know is that it was literally going to be a Deus Ex Machina, <laughs> um, like, right? But he still but he, managed to make it compelling, and yes. he still managed to lead up to it in a compelling way. I I think you're right. I think like, and this actually dovetails really nicely into one of my questions here. It was that like this book was particularly an ensemble cast. Like I feel as though I think even John French kind of recognized a little bit that he's like, oh, I'm going to kind of pull away from Armin a bit because I can't do anything with him. <laughs> so. Some of his other, some of his cohorts, Ignis in particular, very interesting. I actually do, as much as I dislike this book, I don't like, like, Ignis, but, like, he's definitely the most compelling of the bunch and definitely the most sympathetic for me. Uh, I actually just like the fact that there was a faction of a thousand sons that was devoted to math and, you know. Numerology? Yeah, they were, well, I mean, that was low. But I kind of deserve it after the Batman and Catwoman. Um, no, just the whole idea that there's, you know, math and magicians. I kind of like that, like that whole thing. Because honestly, oh, like, concept's fun. like when, you know, whenever they, uh, they had him like, you know, do calculations as he's watching things in battle. I totally imagined you. I know you guys have all seen that gif of like that woman looking confused and all the math, all the numbers come across as he's like figuring it out. That's totally what I imagined every single time. The but, part that I imagine, the thing that it made me think about was for people who were old school World of Warcraft players, uh, the Leroy Jenkins video, if you watch the beginning part of that, they're like, mm, 
yeah, uh, Leroy, will you calculate our odds? And he's like, oh, okay, or not Leroy, sorry, I can't remember the name of the guy. Right, right, right. Calculate the odds, and he's like, yeah, it's like 19.333, repeat. And they're like, mm, okay, yeah, I guess that's good. And then, of course, Leroy Jenkins says this thing, but that's like kind of how I imagine them. Like, all right, Ignis, we're going to need you to run the odds on this one. Like, he's he's a mathematician. He's It's amazing. I actually really, really liked that concept mm-hmm. about him. Um, but I feel as though had John French maybe focused a little more like they almost could have focused more on those characters circulating around Araman and less on Araman and less of Araman's ineptitude mm, yeah and his Charlie Brown tendency of chasing after that football that is most definitely not Magnus or Zinch messing with him this time he's gonna kick it um it was Magnetha all along I mean um I think that would have made it more compelling. But I nearly threw one, the book when that figment, that piece, whatever, of Magnus tells the Inquisitor. Um, yeah, it was actually, you know, that was, I knew you guys had, uh, you know, uh, Kelicomachus. I knew you guys had that. I'd set this whole thing in motion. You know, it kind of reminded me of um, the Wonder Woman movie with, you know, the God of War I come through and kind of did the whispers to people, just like mm-hmm. just put the ideas in their head so that all this would come together. Kind of made me, you know, okay, okay. So you've been pulling the strings like this entire time, and then Zinch is like, ah, actually, I've been pulling the strings this entire time, and I'm going to go send this guy to go deliver this message, which in ends up not happening and has no point. But that was totally my plan, was for it to not have a point. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> if, of course, you know, contrast that with, you know, Neku constantly talking about control, control, control. I'm pretty sure that that was, that was on purpose to show that nobody is in control. No matter what anybody has to say, Zinch is not in control. Magnus is not in control. Ariman is certainly not in control. I have decided, so... I think I've mentioned that one of the things that I really am getting tired with, especially with the Zinch factions, is this entire Xanatos gambit, right? Where they're just like, yes, everything that happens was exactly as we planned. But this isn't like a subcategory of that of, yes, it was me all along. I'm getting really sick and tired of that and i think and look i want to i want to say that like i know that some people probably that really probably resonates with people and they really like that and i know that for people who are big zinch fans the whole like when i think of the word chaos or chaos as the french say um oh wait that's sexist speech anyways um when i think of that concept zinch i feel like embodies it more than anyone else because it's just plans upon plans upon plans upon plans upon plans and everything is what he was planning all along um in this book i feel like in particular to be fair even games workshop did that with with abaddon (laughs) see he wasn't failing this whole time you didn't understand the point of the black crusade um yeah exactly um I, I think the thing that I struggle with, I, I just don't like that concept. I understand why some people do. Great. Awesome. I like it. You, you. Like, but it doesn't work for me. I like it in certain circumstances. Like in Sorcerer, okay. I can see that. Okay. I, I, I can see how he'd be aware of this because I know another time that you liked it, you liked it in um, Lords of Silence because they kind of had it a little bit there as well. With, uh, There's a difference between I've outplayed all of you and just played dumb and, oh, this setback. <laughs> I wanted that to happen. Uh, see, I don't see much of a difference else. between them. To be um, totally honest. I do. Um, yeah, but... I... So, the, the Xanatos Gambit actually comes from the, the TV show Gargoyles, and I don't right. know if you ever watched it, but... I did not, episode... but I had friends who loved it. Oh, good, because it was so good. But the episode in particular that started the whole trope is this episode where they find this magic puddle or it's actually like a fountain that will grant eternal life right and that's what it's like this whole thing is that they're going toward this and xanatos is going to try it but like it's kind of maybe like unclear if it's going to work or not like that and he gets his um 
he gets his manservant, Owen, to try it. And so he puts his arm into it and his arm turns into stone. And Xanatos is like, oh, right. Yeah, it was the wording. You would become like unaging, not necessarily immortal. So he's like, oh, yeah. Hmm. This serves my plans perfectly anyways. And he walks off, right? How? And I loved the show. The show was amazing. Mm -hmm. But even then, it was kind of like, uh, a little on the nose. Um, so that was the one that really kind of got that whole thing started. And I feel like that's kind of like it's it's when the when the villain takes a setback and then says that, no, that's actually what I wanted because it sets me up for this future thing that you didn't know I was planning. That's when the Xanatos Gambit comes okay. in, right? Not the I was playing you the whole time and I knew what was going on. All right. So it's like, cause, it's, cause, a yeah, micro like it's setting people up. It's a microscopic thing. Let's be fair on that i think it triggers i, I think disagree it, well and that's fair but the point being i don't i just get tired of it with zinch and i feel like now they're leaning a little too heavy into okay, it well what i was gonna say was like the sorcerer i understood it that actually was fits in perfectly with the way that Ariman works and i could totally I'd see that. i could totally see that he saw this happening the whole time and was working it all to to his advantage um because that's just the way Armin Armin do. But with this one, you find it's Magnus pulling everything. I'm like, no, no, you know, no. Like, I understand. Those two need therapy. I understand. I'm like, well, that's not near. That's like everybody. Get them a family therapist so that dad and son can talk it out. Dad needs to talk to all of his sons. You know. You got me there. And I know I've made this comparison before, but like one of my favorite quotes out of the Deathstroke comic was when Wintergreen was saying, like, we're about to undo the entire world because a man doesn't know how to hug his children. And that's like the, the Emperor in a nutshell. We're ending the world because he doesn't know how to hug his kids. Talking about Magnus and Araman. They need to get into some therapy, yep. like either family therapy or couples therapy or all the therapy and just talk it out. Yes. I mean, if oh my God, maybe they just need hugs. If Magnus had talked to him way back when he messed up, if he had talked to them and let him know this is my plan and not just been on and like pouted and be like, just let them come. And Armin's like, no, like, and he wouldn't talk about it. A lot of this could be avoided. People would talk, but then we wouldn't have conflicts and then we wouldn't have any of this to talk about. So I suppose maybe it's good that they act like little children, but regardless so okay fine so magnus is a demon prince yes he'd be aware of all this i don't think he... you're going to say he's been aware of the, all this to this to this point then you're saying he's greater than zinch and i'm not sure you're going to put him like up there with the chaos god of, of zinch like he can't be omniscient he can know a lot without knowing everything and i think that's where the disconnect for me like really really happens but also you can't yeah. take magnus this guy who like i know everything about everything and yet lucas is able to like the oh this piece of paper <laughs> this is not what you're looking for i i can't even with that scene and i when we read that book that was like I didn't enjoy that book, and that scene made me hate that. You know, book. honestly, I kind of enjoyed that because I could totally see Magnus being like, I am so much smarter than you. Like, there's no way you're tricking me, which is kind of like, I think that was Gav Thorpe's point, was that he thinks he's so much smarter than everybody. That, But then that's the problem. He thinks he's so much smarter than everybody. And the thing is, he's often, he's often right, but things he thinks that he is, and then Ariman's like, I also know better. And so you have these right. It's the battle of egos, right? It oh my god, it one hundred percent is, and it gets and it gets frustrating. But as I've said for now, like the millionth time, and I'm sure listeners would be like, "You've said this already, Ayn Rand." I can't take the, the whole thing. Magnus like ah, I totally knew this was going to happen. I've set everything up to go to to follow my plan. When you know what, asshole, you could have found. If that was all true, you could have found a bazillion other ways to have messed this up for him. Well, like a thing too. Like, really? 
this overly and again again i know it's on brand for the thousand suns it is certainly on brand for zinch um by the way can we really quickly just talk about that one time that zinch showed up sure can we talk about that? yeah whatever okay. pouring the last yeah, of I my that actually, tea that uh that pretty much sums up my feelings on that whole scene actually you just the whole scene was stupid the whole idea of the changeling was also stupid it amounted to nothing which is kind of what the whole story was it amounted to nothing i also really did like that i liked the scene in throne of light when the changer of ways shows up because i found that scene delightful Right, it's um. Oh my god, his name just totally slipped my mind right now. Um, but it's it, it's one of like the big guys, right? Mm -hmm. He shows up, and he is delightful, right? Where he's basically like, "How the hell are you to summon me?" And he's just a greater demon of Zinch, right? And so, I know that this isn't the right use of this phrase, but it felt quasi Mary Sueish. Where it's like, oh, are my Armin? My Armin is so cool that the god of chaos himself came down to talk to him. And was like, dude, you're pretty cool. Like, it felt very weird and out of place. I mean, we've really only seen, in books, we've really only seen a major cameo. Recent books, I should say. Because um, who knows what's in the way back. Um, but in recent books, we've really only seen one major cameo from the god himself and that was when he was talking to jimmy space like in the dark imperium right nurgle shows up to talk to the emperor after jimmy space set his lawn on fire to be fair you would come out of your house to talk to him too at that point like the hell are you doing get off my lawn kid um <laughs> like it's on fire old man what you gonna do now <laughs> put a bag of flaming dog poop on there <laughs> Go stomp that out. Um, I But, like, that's, like, the only time, really, that we've seen that type of a cameo. So this felt, I, it just, it rubbed me the wrong way. It felt like, because the whole concept of the Mary Sue character is that all the main characters think this person's so cool. And that it just felt like that to me. I, well, I mean, but he said, I'm going to give him a gift. The gift of oblivion. Okay. So how much do you really like him if you're going to give him the gift of oblivion? Which actually, that's probably what Ariman actually needs and wants in the end. But then he's like, you know what? Not yet. But this is really what I had planned was for it to not happen yet. Okay. That zinch in a nutshell? Not I but you're going back to because I was thinking about it, I was like you I don't got really time for this like you know kind of so okay let me oh. ask you this I'm so because disappointed I'm like so disappointed as a thousand sons fan like this book like crushed me on the inside you know probably in the same way that um the last space wolves book that I um uh, wolf time like crushed space wolves fans and i was just like this is great because that's really how i feel about space wolves so i'm sure you know in a lot of ways i kind of sympathize with you and i, I have mm -hmm. to tell you when i was reading this book i actually did have a moment when i was like oh this is how carrie felt with the wolf time um because i can see that for people like, like this, this is how i've always felt about the thousand suns this, this type of inane stupidity yeah i'm like yeah that's a thousand suns right just blindly and, trusting and arrogance. It's not just stupidity, it's arrogance. It is right. blind arrogance of, obviously I understand this. Um, as a trilogy, because we're not going to even talk about the fourth book, because this book was definitely, or at least I feel like, I feel as though this was definitely written to be a trilogy Im immediately. Oh, like, yeah. Or at least the omnibus, it wrap. I mean, it, it feels very contained. Does it work for you though? Like as an omnibus? As an omnibus, yeah. I mean, it's a, I mean, it's, Ariman found, Ariman fails. What's next? Ariman flounders, Ariman fails. Ariman friendship. Actually, that's a good one for the second book. Ariman. Yeah, it, friendship. 
I, I hear it in the Mortal Kombat. Oh, voice. that's I, totally. That's how I did it. Like you get the balloon art and everything. Friendship. Exactly. Um, Ariman and friends. I, does this book contribute to the lore of Ariman? It depends on how you want to look at it. I mean, again, like let's take like the Wolf Time for, for example. If this is how you've always seen the Thousand Sons, then yes, it just kind of like, oh, yeah, see, this is how I've always seen them. If this is how, if this is not how you remember Ariman and how you see the Thousand Sons from the Horus Heresy or, for, or, or whatever, then this kind of goes against, kind of goes against your, your lore and to you it changes. But to me, honestly, both sides, it still changes nothing because nothing happens. It's like the Donna Reed show. Nothing ever happens. We might have some chaos because he was late. He, you know, was late to dinner and didn't call. But in the end, nothing happens. Yeah, and I think that's the part that I'm struggling with is that, like, again, with the Fabulous Bill series, love it or hate it, I can at least say some stuff happened in those books. Yeah, right? yeah. Clone Grim. Clone, yeah. Um, yeah. Clone Grim. That, that's kind of like a asterisk. Um, like, Stuff well, happened in okay. that, the Dark Imperium. And if you want to retconned... forget about Clone Grim, whole thing with Trazen. That's huge. That's and, especially huge because... And it I fits. Mean, it fits with Trazen's lore, too. So it's... Yeah. So... Yeah. And that's... I mean, that's... It, it's a particularly interesting little seed to plant out there because... You're right. It's 100% within his lore. And someday, like a year from now, if all of a sudden a book comes out and Trazen's like, oh, did you guys know that I have a clone of a Primarch? We would be like, that makes sense. That tracks. Like, it, it, it's a very interesting thing to throw out there. But I feel like with this, like even Dark Imperium, they've basically retconned, didn't retcon it, but they kind of made it, they basically made it not as meaningful or important because they moved away from that whole thing to go back. Um, you can still say stuff happened in those books. Stuff happened. It was compelling. Yes, it ultimately the whole Nurgle invasion of the 500 realms. But again, there's little seeds planted there, probably literally because Nurgle, um, that they can do stuff with, right? These books, I feel like nothing happened and no, there's, there's nothing to really work with. There's no seeds planted because once again, the Book of Magnus is gone. Okay, the so Horcruxes have been destroyed. Yeah, so Magnus is whole again, or something, or what? You know what? Not a day his heart grew three sizes. Sure, what? Whatever. Ariman's still banished. He's still with his people who are still banished. The Rubrikay are not fixed. I kind of love that a Scander showed up to help, but at the same time, he's like, "This is so gonna fail," and I'm gonna laugh in your face and then leave. I just want to see if maybe you can possibly fix the Rubicay, but I don't believe that you can. And I'm just going to go go back to what I'm doing because right. they're cooler than you, which I hate to admit it. You got a point, Iskander. Um, but nothing's changed. And, and, and I'm, I'm fairly certain that's why John French called it Ariman Unchanged, which is 100% way too on the nose. Mr. French, what was your ultimate goal in writing this because you can't tell me it, it's just to show that nothing really matters that the thousand sons do because it's all just a bunch of fail and they don't do anything because because then I'm gonna feel that I got more out of Twilight because at least shit happened there you know and I think you kind of tapped on something when you were talking about earlier when there's the uh, when we find out that that dude's in the time loop because it kind of feels like they're in a metaphorical time loop of hmm. continually. Again, it's it's Charlie Brown and the football. Araman is Charlie Brown. Zinch and Magnus are Lucy. Like, there's always this goal. This goal. And if you can just get over here, you're going to have it. And every single time he runs full force at it and falls on his back. Right? And... Are we, saying that, are we saying that the Rubicay is a little redhead girl? <laughs> Pretty much. Um, there's a deep cut, deep Charlie Brown reference. <laughs> um, if, 
I feel like that's just kind of the Legion in general, because we did see that in Mark of Faith with some other dude. It wasn't even Armin, just some dude. Mm-hmm. Um, where they all feel like they are stuck in this loop where neither their own wisdom nor common sense can help them escape, right? Again, it is the definition of insanity. No, 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 please. This time's going to be different. I know what I'm doing. I understand this better. Like, Armin has that thing here where he's thinking about the second rubric and he's just like, man, I just know so much more than I did back then. I didn't really understand what I was doing back then. Bruh, you still don't. Like, the fact that you guys keep turning to warp sorcery when it is not, it is clear. At, at what point has any of this helped any of you? The addict from um, Silent Hunters <laughs> had more on the ball than these guys, and he was a literal drug addict. But, you know, and I'm turning over everything that happened in A Thousand Sons, and I'm like, all right, you know, maybe, maybe I'm the deluded one, okay? Maybe I am. Maybe this is just what they do. And this is just constant that we're just going to keep acquiring knowledge because that's what we do. Okay, fine. And then we think that we know, uh, we know more this time. We know more this time. We know more this time. We know more this time without realizing really the only person who has it is a Skander Kane because he had one of the greatest lines. It was in the uh, Talon of Horus where he was talking about how he was, those who trust like, like, basically going through like what what you should what you, what you should do with the warp and one of the lines was like in those who trust like you're a fool if you trust it and he understood we're never going to know everything about it because to try to know everything about it means that you trust it and that's when you fail and right. maybe that's the whole thing with the thousand sons is because they're going to constantly trust it and therefore they're constantly going to fail and if that's really the whole story to the Thousand Sons, well, then I've been deluded since the Horus Heresy, and they're a boring chat. They're a boring faction, and that's sad. That is ultimately very, very sad. So depressing when you say it that way. And I'm not even a Thousand Sons fan, but I feel like I feel as though, and the Space Wolves are probably guilty of this as well. I feel like certain chapters have just become. In the hands of some authors, certain chapters are just caricatures of themselves, right? Where it's like, oh, okay, well, what's uh, what's like the defining feature of these guys? Oh, the Thousand Sons? Okay, they don't like the Space Wolves and they trust warp sorcery and they're all kind of arrogant. Okay, cool. That's literally the only things that I'm going to give these people. Um, the Space Wolves, right? Like, okay, well, what are their defining characteristics? Oh, they're very stubborn stubborn they have a very devil may care attitude and they like to help people okay that's literally the only three things that i'm going to give these characters they're stubborn yes and i feel like and you know what maybe it comes down to some authors like that's their only understanding of those legions right like it it occurs to me and i think a very valid question here is does john french even like the thousand sons well god i i mean i hope so he's written like how much to it but you know what you said this like earlier today and maybe he's his writing just doesn't speak to us you know and i wonder i think this is a thing that i'm actually kind of waffling with with some authors like because the warhammer 40k setting is so broad and so open mm-hmm. and you can do so much with it and there's so many tools to work with i feel like some authors are very good when you just set them free right like, okay Go write something in the 40k universe. And because like, I look back at the Covenant series, because we enjoy Which the is Covenant great. series. Asterisk next to that for a second. Because um, I still have a point on that one. Um, but like the Covenant series, okay, w- when you give him free reign, but there were scenes in his Siege of Terra book that have. I do not like this author anymore because of some of those scenes in those books. But those are set events with set characters. And the Armin series is a set character mm-hmm. with somewhat set events. And I feel as though when you confine some of the authors, their scope gets narrowed. And I would actually say that Gav Thorpe is the exact opposite. I think when you give him 
free reign is when some of his weaker work comes out. When he has to write about Indominus. set characters. <clears throat> Sorry. Events. That one, um, I felt like Ash is a Prospero. I know you really liked it, but I did not. However, Luther really enjoyed some of his Horace Heresy book. His Horace Heresy book, I, I think, are actually some of his strongest writing. Mm-hmm. I think when he has confines, he does a really good job, right? Um, I think John French might be the guy who just can't do the named characters. Um, and again, I know, I, like... <laughs> I feel like I'm taking crazy pills, just like Ignis. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. That I see all these people who are like, oh, "This book is so good. The Armin series is so amazing." And I'm like, I don't mean this facetiously, but could you please exp- like hit me well, up? Well, all right. I mean, how much hate did we get for bashing um, Penitence? I mean. We hated that book. We hated it. We hated almost pretty much everything about it, from the writing to the plot to little devices to everything. Numerology strikes again. <laughs> well, I mean, okay. Well, there. Any, I'm not. Even, I'm not even going to bring that part up. But like, you know, to like who the reveal of who the king in yellow is, and 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 all of that. Um, and we got attacked. Like there were really very few people who agreed with us and we you know just got attacked and some people they just that book just spoke to them on a whole other level and that's true okay great i mean we can gosh look back at our video game days you and i both cannot stand bioshock infinite and that was like people's like game of the year for the next five years and they and they, they just loved it so um Ooh. Uh, I actually, one thing I do enjoy, like, it's always fun on this podcast when we both enjoy a book, but I enjoy this podcast even more when one of us loves a book and one of us hates it, because that's just so much fun to see just the different perspectives, like The Wolf Time, for example, just right. the, the different, Fair. or Ashes are Prosper, just the different perspectives in, in, com- in coming in. And so even though we both really hated this one and... You know, I have a lot of pent up anger over this book. It's really stupid, like how mad this book has made me. But I would really love to know, like, why people like this. And I don't mean that as in a condescending way, like, this book's terrible and there's something wrong with you. Like, like because, why do you like this? No, it's it's literally like, it's literally like, please help me understand. Yeah. What is it about this, about the series that really spoke to you like with the thousand suns or maybe it's just that you know what we don't like the thousand suns and this just explained everything we don't like about them kind of like how i felt with wolf time so right which is you know like okay and i will i will I get that maybe this is because i had this exact same reaction with wolf time like you said like it, it's ridiculous how angry this made you mm, wolf time infuriated me mm-hmm. Like, it was a good thing that I finished it several days before the podcast, because if we would have recorded on the night that I finished, it would have not been safe for work. There'd have been a lot of F-bombs in there, I mean, because I, I was so angry. I felt like I just let my mouth fly, so it's a good thing that we're not, uh, we can't uh, monetize on YouTube, because this would have, this, <laughs> this episode is definitely getting flagged. But, yeah. yeah. So, it's, but- uh... And I feel like, and it's just because I think all of us have those legions and those ideas and stuff like that, that we just love. And it's really disappointing when you read a book that you're like, wow, this makes me question my love of this legion. Right. Um, now, and some people, and like, I'm, I'm kind of this way with some of the other legions, right? Like the Night Lords, there is literally no story that you can bring. Well, okay, that's not true. I'm sure there's some story out there, but no story that I have read that I'm like, oh, this really made me not like the Night Lords. Like, Lord of Night, love it. The Night Lords Omnibus, loved it. The Robbie Mack book, um, which was the one, it was like the blood tie, there's something like that. Loved it. With the Karkaradans, absolutely loved it. Like, there's nothing you can do with them that I'll be like, no, I didn't enjoy that. I mean, I guess, again, I, I don't want to say nothing, because I guess if you all of a sudden had them yeah. singing Kumbaya, I'd be like, oh, oh no. Nope, I thought of something, because you told me mm. you hate this book. Hmm. Vulcan Libs. Okay. I hate that book for a different reason. And it's actually what they do with Vulcan. Okay. I hate that book because the concept of what is going on in that book is stupid. Fight me. Okay. And I, I haven't I haven't gotten very far. I'm only like on on chapter two of chapter two or three of Vulcan Libs. 
But like, I hate Conrad Kurtz. I, I love Conrad Kurtz. I know, and this really makes me question my friendship with you. Like, you're gonna hate him by the end of the like, book if you don't like him. Like, I'm afraid to stay in your house. You stay in my house because, like, I don't know when she's gonna snap and start making a flesh cape. <laughs> Um, when you get to the Unremembered Empire, I promise you this. In my heart, I promise you, you're going to love it then because he turns into a vampire lord, basically. And he's fun. He's a villain that you hate, but he's a fun villain to hate. Um, Vulcan Lives. Vulcan Lives is actually a, a very hot subject in my home because I read it and I hated the whole concept of it. But it was all it was also kind of low-key, very Conradian. Um and it did make me just really like the Night Lords. Like stuff would happen and I'd be like, mm, that tracks. But I still hate the whole concept of this book. But that is that is pretty track. That tracks and that's fair. <laughs> and because it actually comes down to, to what happens to Vulcan. And that's why I hate it so much. Um, because I also do love Vulcan. Um, I have very complex feelings on that book. Um, but like... I feel that it was some that way with some books. But as you said, like the Space Wolves. I hated Wolf Time. Mm, I was so angry with that book. Um, kind of how you felt with this book. Mm -hmm. When you have those legions and people just are come through and they're like, oh, yeah, um, I have a different opinion about this legion than you do. And I feel that way with John French. Like, I, when you read Thousand Sons, it's clear that Graham McNeil likes them. When you read Mark of Faith, it was clear Rachel Harrison liked the Thousand Sons, right? They do make appearances. They do mm -hmm. show up in books where it is clear how the author feels about these guys. I, I don't get a strong Thousands Loves vibe. Again, please, if you disagree with me, please talk me through it. I, I, I'm very genuinely curious and I want to know. And that's my TED talk on that. I think we need to wrap it up now. I can't imagine us saying anything else. Did we even go through all the well, questions? Well, let me ask you for my, well, yeah. So let me ask you my last question about this. Okay, we've gotten to the end. Do, do you feel prepared for the next book? Like, does this set up? Did, did this book end in a way that they're like, and a fourth book is definitely coming? Oh, no, no, no. This book definitely ended with, uh, you know, basically we're going to go off and lick our wounds and probably keep doing the same thing. We like, gee, brain, what are we doing tonight? Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to fix the rubric. <laughs> And it was so funny having it come out. Um, because <laughs> that's basically the definition of all of these books. <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a little excited. I, I don't want to say excited because I'm, after this book, I'm not excited. Um, I, but I am I curious because that's going to take place post Rift, correct? All right. Yes. So that does open up all these other possibilities. Mm hmm. So, but I swear to God. Has he been looking for the Black Library? What does he think? I, I know, I know meta-wise that he's really interested after watching the um, Anari bring back Reboot. I know he's like, I'm sorry, what? But I'd like to see a book about that. You have a library of knowledge, you say. Tell me, tell me, tell me more about this reviving a Primark thing. Was it Revivify or was it like Resurrection? <laughs> And D humor. I don't know. It was warp fuckery. They don't have to explain shit. You know what? It's magic. They don't have to explain anything in this book. Exactly. You want to take a step? Oh, actually, we should probably mention that. Uh, so, uh, we will be reading a new book next time. Uh, the Wraithbone Phoenix. Speaking of things that people need to explain to me. <laughs> if y'all want a fun rabbit hole to fall down, uh, it is available on ebook. It is available on audiobook. We did purchase the paperback. If you want a fun rabbit hole to, to roll down, go ahead and tell me what the release date is for the paperback. Because we found four different dates. And we're talking about the Wraithbone Phoenix. I don't think Jen mentioned the name of the book, but the Wraithbone Phoenix. The Wraithbone Phoenix. Oh. By, by Alec, Alec Worley. Worley. Yes. So... Um, Crime, heck yeah! And apparently, but they're not, but they're not on the side of crime that we're normally reading. So that makes it interesting. And okay, with the name Baggett and Claude, this is surely a play on Bonnie and Clyde because it has to be. And if it's not, I'm gonna be really sad. 
Um, maybe superficially, but the characters themselves. If you haven't listened to the audio drama, I highly recommend it. Alec Worley remains one of the best Come on. authors of Claude, audio drama. Bonnie and Clyde. It works. It does. It does. Or if you want to uh, think of the uh, spare one of the extra cartoons on Rocky and Bullwinkle, Bunny and Claude. I love that yes. one. Exactly. It, I liked those ones too. Um, They're all, all, but, they, all they wanted was carrots. That's all they wanted. Um, if anything, it's more... Uh, anyways, definitely listen to the uh, <laughs> audio drama. The audio drama, I think, sets it up pretty well. I don't know how heavily the book is going to relate to it. I think other than just to introduce you to the characters, Alec Worley remains one of the best at the audio dramas. His stuff, all of his that I've listened to, just rolls so well. And the Black Library does a great job with audio dramas. Really excited to read this book, though. Um, would like to have the paperback if I could find out when it's coming. Again, that's a fun little rabbit hole. Tell me if you know the for realsies published date of the paperback. Um, has not shipped yet. Um, but and you the, have to give us more than one source. Mm-hmm. On <laughs> exactly. We're not Brian Stelter. We need multiple sources. Is that oh, too soon? Wow. Damn, she brought Brian Stelter into it. Is it too soon? Sorry. I just, Mr. Pota- Mr. Potato Head is all over the headlines right now. Mr. How to bring Potato it something Head, current. Humpty Dumpty, you know, whatever you want to call him. I, I always love Mr. Potato Head because it's pretty accurate. Um, but anyways, uh, yes, multiple sources. Please source, cite something because we found four different ones. Um, but that's going to be our next book. Super excited to get back into Warhammer Crime. It's been a hot minute since we had a Warhammer Crime novel. Yeah, since um, Guy Haley's book. Because we've had a bunch of short story anthologies, but collections, but... I can't be right. It is right because there's been a whole bunch of short story collections. I'm going back through all the books that we've read. That can't be right, but I think you are 100% correct. I just, that feels like that was so long ago. It kind of was. Oh, you're right. Because the other things that we've read have been, because I was like, well, like, what about that Mark Collins book? It was a horror novel. Yep. Damn, son. Just looked like uh, Well, a, I'm excited. It just looked like sense. it was a uh, Warhammer crime novel, but it was not. Darkness in the Blood. Wait, when did we read that? We read that in December of 2020. Which book? Darkness in the Blood? No, that's a Blood Angels book. Hey, Jesus, what am I looking Y'all, it has been a day. Um, It's been a while, though, since we've read it. That cannot be right. Flesh and Steel. Oh, guess what? It was before that. It was before December of 2020. Oh. So it has been almost exactly two years because that was in October of 2020. Cool. That's a little wild. I feel like we missed something in there. Anyways, do you want to take us out with our imaginary books? I will take us out with the imaginary books because, yeah, so... Anyway, <laughs> so you've listened to the Warhammer 40k book club episode regarding Ariman Unchanged by John French. So be sure to listen to us next. So be sure to join us next time. You know what? Forget it. I can't speak anymore. We're reading The Wraithbone Phoenix by Alec Worley. You know we're an unofficial book club. We're not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its other affiliates. You can find the Vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you liked us, Please like, if you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, you know, yada, yada, all those things everyone tells tells you to do, do all that on YouTube or anywhere you get podcasts. So our site also has articles about adventures and reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books. Because in case you didn't know, I'm reading the Horus Heresy. I don't think I've mentioned that like, ever, but I am. All right. I know. I know. We're going to get through this. So with all that, please stay a while. And read from a crag. And, like, I can't even say I'm Alfarious because I'm just... Whatever. I'm just I'm just still angry. <laughs> Grimmer Past was a crime novel. It came out in October of 2021. So it's only oh, been a year. Oh, there we go. All right. Cool. That's all I got. Good night, folks. That's right.
This episode of the Warhammer 40k book club is hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.